listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, March the 15th in the year of our Lord 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we're taking a look at lessons for the fifth Sunday in Lent, which will be March the 21st, 2021. I always have two goals, as you've been listening to Law and Gospel for some time, have figured out in every sermon. The first is to tell you something that you probably were unaware of. And the second goal is always to end on a comfort of the gospel. Now, it just so happens that the three readings for this coming Sunday, they're filled with insights that you are probably unaware of fully, and there's great comfort in each one. The Old Testament lesson from Jeremiah chapter 31 talks about this new covenant that God is going to make after the old covenant failed. In fact, covenant can also be translated as testament. So when the Bible talks about the Old Testament and New Testament, it's not talking about the books of the Bible. It's talking about the two covenants. So that would be a very interesting sermon. The Hebrews chapter 5 passage talks about that Jesus is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Well, who's he? And why is Jesus likened to him? That'd be very interesting. But we're going to be taking a look at Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 35. Because I do believe that there is so much in here that the vast majority of lay people in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod are unaware of. My favorite technique, which I've been doing for years now, is to begin every sermon with a question. And the question is such that it always ends up eliciting a wrong answer. So I spend some time in developing the question on the basis of the text. So taking a look at Mark 10, verses 35 and following, the question I would ask the congregation is, what do you think of when Jesus is going to be in his glory? And there's going to be one sitting at his right hand and one at his left. When will that occur? I dare say the vast majority of even Lutherans, when they think about Jesus in his glory, they're talking about Jesus in heaven. And then there's, this is after the day of resurrection, after judgment day. And then there's all kinds of suggestion, who's going to be on his right, who's going to be on his left. I don't believe that this text is talking about that at all. In my opinion, I believe if you take a look at Daniel 7, the Ancient of Days is God the Father, and on his right, remember, Jesus Christ ascends to the right hand of God, and who would be on his left? Well, that would be the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a guess on my part, but if we're talking about after Judgment Day, that's what I would be suggesting. So 
What is this text talking about? You have to take a look at verse 35. When James and John, they're the two sons of Zebedee, often known as the sons of thunder, because they wanted to bring violence down on people that were not understanding Jesus and what he was doing. They come to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, when you first hear that, that sounds terrible. I mean, would you ever go to God and ask him, this is what I want, and we expect you to give it to us? Well, you need to remember that to a degree, Jesus himself probably led to their question. In Matthew chapter 7, remember what Jesus says? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, it shall be opened to you. So what the two disciples are asking uh, appears to be in sync with Jesus' own message to them. But does that mean that anytime we ask Jesus for something, we're going to get it? For example, in last week's reading from Numbers, the people were complaining against Moses and God because they didn't have enough to eat, enough to drink. They, they hated the manna. So God sent them poisonous snakes. They realized their sin against God, speaking out against him. And they asked Moses to pray to God that the snakes, these poisonous snakes, would be removed. Well, God answered their prayers, but not by removing the poisonous snakes. They still continued to bite the people. What he told Moses to do instead was to put up a bronze serpent, a form of a serpent, on a pole, and whoever would look at it, guess what? They would be healed of having been bitten by a snake. That, that's really interesting in light of Hebrews 12, verse 2. O come, let us fix our eyes on Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So why didn't God give a specific answer to the Israelites about removing the snakes? Why did he set up a bronze serpent instead? when he says, ask and it shall be given to you? Well, the answer is also found in the scripture. If you'll recall, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He asks God for something, but then what does he add? But not my will, but thy will be done. So when Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you, whatever we're asking, it will be given to us, but according to the will of God. God always answers our prayers to our good. And we may not get the specific answer that we had hoped for, but from God's point of view, it's 
the best answer. So the disciples asked Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. He says to them, what do you want me to do for you? Now, if they had said something like, well, when we read the Old Testament, we want our faith increased about you, like those two disciples had on the road to Emmaus, where Jesus went through the Old Testament and helped them to understand the necessity of his death and his resurrection. But sometimes God doesn't answer our prayer. What's the distinction that we need to be aware of. If you're asking God for something that he has promised, then he will answer it as you request. But if you're asking him for something he has not promised, then he'll do it according to his will, which will be better for you. So, for example, when we baptize an infant, it would be wrong to say, We baptize this infant in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we pray God that he will give this infant the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, if it be his will. No, that would be a sin to add, if it be his will. Because take a look at Peter's sermon at Pentecost, be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit and the promises to you and to your little ones. And the Greek word for those children are any children under the age of seven, all the way down to infants. So we don't add, ask if it be your will in the baptism of an infant. We don't ask if it be your will that our faith be increased as we read the Bible. But I know when I was younger, I wanted a motorcycle. And I prayed to God that he would give me a motorcycle. Well, he didn't give me one until after I was married. So his answer initially was, no, then wait, and then I got one. You see, if the word motorcycle was in the Bible, and Jesus said, anytime you ask for a motorcycle, I will give it to you, then I would not have had to include if it be your will. But it's not a promise from God. So what are they going to ask Jesus? And how do we fit into the two categories? Here's what they say to him. Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Now, that word glory is really important. It's only used two times in the Gospel of Mark. The one time is when Jesus comes on Judgment Day. He says he will be ashamed of those who were ashamed of him when he comes in his glory. So that's God coming in his judgment. This is the second time the word glory is used. One at the right hand, one at the left. What does Jesus say? You do not know what you are asking. 
So Jesus right away is showing the disciples are ignorant of what they were really asking for. Because when they heard the word glory, they had seen the glorious things Jesus was doing on earth, feeding 5,000, feeding 4,000, healing the blind, the lame, the lepers, those who were mute, even raising people from the dead. Can you imagine when Jesus went into Palm Sunday, the disciples were probably crowding around his donkey wanting to be on his right or on his left. That's how they considered the glory of God, to be really well-known, to be respected, to be loved. But Jesus says, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Now, that is what Jesus is referring to as his coming in glory and his moment of great glory. He's not talking about a cup that he will have to drink after judgment day when we are with him forever and ever in heaven or to be baptized in heaven. In fact, outside of the baptism of John the baptizer, it does not appear that Jesus ever had been water placed on him to be baptized. And you need to kind of look at these words as we are mentioning in the book of Revelation. Revelation is pretty easy to understand if you have the code. And the code is scripture interprets scripture. Many of the items in Revelation are found, explained not only in the book of Revelation or in the New Testament, but also in the entire Old Testament. So here also, what is Jesus talking about, about drinking the cup that he would have to drink? Now, in the day of Jesus, to have someone else's cup meant that you were given an allotment of something from that individual. And the disciples were thinking, oh, the allotment would be that we also would be looked upon in great favor by many individuals. In fact, if you take a look, though, at the Old Testament, the cup of which Jesus is speaking of, and that's found in Isaiah, for example, 51, verse 17, is the cup of God's wrath. So the word cup can mean more than just getting an allotment of glory. It means in the scripture that there's going to be coming a time of God's wrath. The disciples are quite blind as to what is this glory in which Jesus is about to enter. They think it's one of status and power. And this has occurred in the Gospel of Mark after Jesus had made three predictions about going to Jerusalem and being whipped, scorned, despised, crucified, 
and that he will die. And then they say, well, when you come in your glory, we want to be on your right or on your left. That was not their place. In fact, in verse 40, to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has already been prepared. Who was at Jesus' left and right in the greatest glory of the wrath of God against Jesus? It was the two thieves, the one who recognized by looking at Jesus who he truly was and his mission. And that's why he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he came to faith by the Holy Spirit as he heard the words of Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was a well-known verse from Psalm 22. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Giving John to Mary and Mary to John, taking care of his mother. And finally, it is finished. The thief on the cross came to faith because he saw Jesus truly in his glory. Now, Jesus says to the disciples, you don't really know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Well, if you take a look, the disciples say in verse 39, we are able. See, this would be the law to the members of the congregation, especially those who perhaps haven't been attending church regularly or Bible study because they are confident that they can handle life apart from Jesus. We have a whole group of people called nuns, N-O-N-E-S, who don't think they need Jesus anymore. And so when you ask them, are you able to handle your life? They say, oh yeah, we can handle our life. When I drive in Uber, Uber, uh, the taxi, I often will get in a conversation and I'll maybe ask the question, do you believe in Jesus? And a lot of people say yes. And I always want to ask, what do you mean that you believe? And they say, well, we believe that he existed. He was a man in Palestine hundreds and hundreds of years ago. He was a good man. Uh, he did miracles. He uh, also helped a lot of people, uh, was a good teacher but they never mentioned about the forgiveness of sins. They never mentioned about the robe of righteousness. These people have a view of the glory of Jesus that he doesn't talk about. For Jesus, his greatest glory occurs not on the day of judgment, but on the day of Good Friday. That's when he takes the cup that the father has given him. Remember, Isaiah says, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And what about this baptism? All you need to do is read Romans 6 to find out that in baptism, 
we are not only placed on the cross, but we are buried with Christ in baptism. Baptism is the day that we die. We die. No, there's a lot of people who get baptized and are still living. What is meant by that? Our old Adam dies. And the promise to the answer of David's prayer comes about, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Jesus says to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. The baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. In fact, there is a baptism referring to the Pentecost baptism very important verse, Ezekiel 36, verse 25. God says, I will sprinkle you with clean water and you will be cleansed. That's the baptism you will undergo. And it's as though you are on the cross with Jesus, in the grave with Jesus, and are risen from the dead. And in fact, according to Ephesians, you're at the right hand of God. Now, when Jesus says, the cup that I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized, Jesus is really talking on two levels. There's one level that Jesus drinks the cup we will never drink, and there's another level on which we will drink the cup. The one level is that we too will drink a cup of rejection. Jesus was rejected by his own family at times, by the religious leaders, even by the disciples who went and hid in the upper room, except for John at the time of the crucifixion. You too will be rejected, especially these days in this world. You're, you're working in a business and let's say it's stocks and bonds and they have a conversation about homosexuality or abortion and you make the point that those people who do that, God does not very much permit that, that that is an abomination before Almighty God. When you talk like that, you can end up being fired from your job because you're bringing your religion into the workplace. Well, the disciples were more than fired. They were martyred. So we too have a cups of suffering. Is that the more we stand up for Jesus, the more people try and put us down. And that's why the church has a lot to do. So that more people don't become nuns and leave the church because they disagree with the will of God. We need to explain the will of God so that rather than becoming like the other thief on the cross who rejected the message of Jesus, they become like the thief who says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. But how does Jesus receive a cup different than just one of rejection and suffering? On the cross, God the Father does not intervene to help Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when he is near death, God sends an angel to strengthen him. But on the cross, there is no intervention by God. 
he suffers the full extent for your sins. That never will happen to you as a Christian. Because even though you will endure suffering, guess what? God will continue to intervene in your suffering. He plans your suffering to the point that will it will not be beyond your ability to endure it. And he often will provide a way of escape. But in Christ, you need not fear. Because God will always intervene with his promises. Remember, that's what we do at funerals. We share the promises of God to bring comfort to those who are in deep grief. Jesus had no comfort on the cross because he was receiving no intervention from the Father that we do. So the disciples were really ignorant of the true mission of Jesus. You are 10 times ahead of the disciples because you do not disagree that Jesus died on the cross. That was his moment of glory as he took the full judgment of God upon himself. A lot of people, that is unknown. And that's the hymn we're going to be looking at tomorrow with Mark Smith. My song is love unknown. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.